Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. Every morning at the crack of dawn, my husband, JR, struts into the office, smiles ear to ear, and belts out a song or two. No, he's not the world's greatest singer, but JR is the king of misheard lyrics. You and I both know that ACDC never sang a song called Dirty Knees and Dungeon Feet. Now, all of this may seem kind of silly, but it's the most important thing that happens each day here at Home Heating and Air Conditioning. See, JR's singing sets the magical, happy tone for the entire company. In a matter of seconds, the singing, smiling texts all join the fun. Best of all, this happy feeling is what we bring to your home. Believe me, I know you may not be all smiles when you first call us, but my heartfelt promise is to change that, to do whatever it takes to make you happy you called home heating and air conditioning, and really happy your heating and air problems got fixed the right way. We're here when you need us. So Stephen, we're going to talk about cheap haircuts today. Is that what I understand? You know, we talked about dry bar doing no haircuts. So now it's time to talk about haircuts. That was episode one. <laughs> that was episode one. So I'm on to the, you know, for a guy with no hair, we're talking a lot about haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Supercuts is a really interesting story. They now have 2,400 locations across. That's a lot of locations. That's a lot of locations. They were founded in 1975 by Jeffrey Rappaport and Frank Emmett's. And their first location was in Albany, California, which is just north of Berkeley, if I have my geography. I'm Canadian, so you know, I'm making up yeah. my U.S. geography yes. here. And the thing that's really interesting is they were not business people. They were a pair of hairstylists who were working in the industry. They looked at the industry and they said, you know, there's a big problem with consistency. There's no consistency in terms of how a haircut is done. Every stylist has got their own idea and their yeah. own in their own feel. And they looked at it and said, McDonald's does not make the best burger. But what McDonald's does is make it inexpensive and consistent and predictable. Mm -hmm. And they looked at the, the hairstyle business and they went, there's no consistency. And so what they wanted to do is they wanted to create a system to cut hair that was consistent and fast. So they actually developed an operational way of cutting hair that was consistent and fast, and they turned it into a system that could be taught. And we go back to the 1970s, there are basically barbershops for men yeah. and beauty salons for women. They saw a big gap in the market because of this, because younger guys didn't want to go to the barbershops were rough, gruff, smoky. Mm -hmm. You'd be showing old faded pictures of haircuts. You want a haircut like this or haircut like that, right? Well, my, 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 I remember in the 70s, my mom would take me to a beautician rather than let my dad drag me into the barbershop where I'm going to be a little kid subject to all the things you just mentioned, plus a stack of Playboys in the corner. Well, there you go, right? So for the younger guys, it was not enough style and it was rough and gruff and it was a place that they frankly didn't want to go to. And for the women, it was the other end. It was all frou-frou. Mm -hmm. Lots of service, but also no idea what things would cost and all these add-ons. So they pioneered the idea of unisex. They were the first place to come up 
with the whole idea of unisex and it also being okay for kids. Very, very kid friendly. It was cleaner and nicer than a barbershop and simpler and easier than a salon. They identified a gap. They also identified some service issues. On Mondays at that time, back in the 70s, most hair salons and barbershops were not open on Mondays. They closed on Mondays and also were by appointment only. So they said, you know what? We're going to be open Mondays and we're going to take walk-ins and we're going to make it fast. Haircut in 20 minutes and a low universal price, six bucks. Right. So here you had rough rumble barbershops, appointment only, not open Mondays, frou-frou hair salons, expensive, everything else. And they came along and said, open Mondays, we'll take walk-ins, six bucks done in 20 minutes. And they did have a menu of things and they made it a really simple, easy to understand menu of services with prices next to it. None of that existed before they came along. So they invented the cheap, consistent, fast haircut and turned it into a system that they could teach people to do. I can't help but notice it was an industry full of creative people that are trying to do something artistic or artisanal, at least. These were people that came up through it, that started it because that's what they want to do. They were haircutters, but they imposed a system on it. They created this idea of the everyday haircut. Mm-hmm. It's not a work of art. Yeah. If you want a work of art, you can go to this other place. If you want the everyday suitable haircut, this is where you can come yeah. to get it done. But to your point, David, the other issue that they ran into is they had to change how people were paid. And, and we've seen this with customers as well. When an industry does things in a certain way and you want people to adapt to this new methodology, there's often resistance to it. Mm -hmm. And in the hair salon industry, most were paid commissions. Mm. So one of the challenges is when you pay people commission and then you come along and say, I want it done this way, it's really hard because people are paid commission are like, screw you. My customers come to expect this and I'm paid a commission. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. When you come along and you say, I'm going to give you a guaranteed hourly rate with benefits, do it my way. It's much easier for people to go, I'm going to do it your way. You want yeah. me there on Monday? Monday's a slow day, but you're paying me an hourly rate with benefits. I'll be there on Monday. Yeah. In the first three years that they did this, they grew it to six stores in California. Then they started to franchise. Mm-hmm. So by the mid eighties, 10 years later, they had hundreds of franchises in there in 39 states. This idea took off. I think it's a good indication too of the right kind of business for a franchise, right? I've seen people do franchises where they mess it up because it's not something that's really systematized. And you're looking for an artisan. You're looking for somebody that can apply some creative. It's like you're not going to see a franchise interior design company unless it's somebody that's building, you know, thousands of homes. Then it's like, oh, well, we design it once and replicate it. But in this case, it's like we created a system where there was none. And now we can just put that system in place and somebody else can take the playbook and run with it. Yeah. In 1987. So basically we're talking 13 years after they started the business, along came a venture capital company who paid these two hairstylists $21.4 million for their business. That ain't bad. That ain't bad for a couple of people who cut hair. That's a nice cash out. And the company's still around. They're part of the international, intergalactic, global hair conglomerate called Regis Corporation now. Yeah, which owns a bunch of different hair franchises. Yeah. Yeah. If you can name a hair cutter, they probably own it. 
Yeah. Um, so they're, they're part of that group. They were the pioneers of the idea of an inexpensive, consistent haircut, walk-in, done quickly, convenient type of idea. But there's a hidden lesson. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this. Brought to you by the Least Full of Shit Marketers Association of America. Yes, that's a low bar, but we clear it mightily. We're also the largest pay-per-performance branding group in North America, and that part's for reals. If you're looking for advertising advice geared towards local owner-operated companies, this is your podcast. And now you can pick the brains of these advertising geniuses over lunch without having to pay for lunch or even leave your office. We're talking 90 minutes of straight answers to all your burning questions about lead generation, customer acquisition, mass media branding, how to get off the paper crack treadmill, anything you want. And the only coin required is candor because we can't give no bullshit advice without basing it off no BS data on your company, competitive landscape, operations, and all that jazz. We send you a pre-Zoom questionnaire. You fill it out candidly and boom, Bob's your uncle, you're in like Flynn, and we'll be frank as fuck in giving you the straight scoop on all the advertising and business growth questions you always wanted to know, but were too afraid to ask. You'll also get our no pitching and no bitching guarantee. No pitching means we won't pitch you or try to sell you in any way. If you want more after 90 minutes, you'll have to ask. And no bitching means if you don't think the meeting was worth your 90 minutes, we'll send you a hundred bucks. Consider it us picking up the tab for lunch and putting our money where our mouth is. Sound like a not-so-full-of-shit offer? Well, that is what we're known for. Take us up on it at empirebuildersprogram.com. Let's pick up our story where we left off, and trust me, you haven't missed a thing. But there's a hidden lesson. And the hidden lesson is this. We often see people come along who want to compete on price and want to build an empire on price. And you can build an empire on price. But when you're building an empire on price, it's not about making it a little bit cheaper. It's not all about, oh, everybody else is doing it at $10. I'll do it at nine. No, everyone else was doing it at $20 and they did it at six. When you are doing things that significantly less expensive, the thing that's driving it is an operational idea that allows you to do a haircut profitably at $6. When we've looked at these empires that have built a business by being significantly cheaper, it has always been supported by an operational change that allows that price to be driven, which is also the reason why it's a killer because it's not easy for anybody else to all of a sudden go, well, I'll copy that because they would have to create the haircutting system. They would have to change the compensation. They would have to do all of these crazy operational things in order to meet them at that price point, which is the reason why they were able to do it for so long before they had competitors. It's a great observation. If they opened up across from your barbershop, you couldn't change your business model to match them. Right. Without blowing up your business. Correct. There's a secondary thing I want to talk about. We hear people a lot of times about teams and I want my employees to do things in a certain manner. Commissions have a real drawback when you want to build a team. In a lot of businesses, I get it. It's easier to pay people commission fits the financial model better, but commissions reward individualism. Commissions reward the person doing it their way, not the company way. So if you're building something that's repeatable and systematized and you want people to do it, commissions work against that. 
It is a question you sometimes need to ask yourself if you're doing things commission-based. Commissions does not reward teamwork, rewards individualism, not do it the company way. When I think about modern barbershops, unless they're a one-off kind of place, the kind that we've been talking about that Supercuts came in and competed against, a lot of modern barbershops are really Supercuts with dark wood paneling and a little fancier chair, and it's just really Supercuts. Essentially what Supercuts did, they took over the inexpensive, convenient, consistent part of the marketplace. What we know is there's always two types of consumers. It's the consumer that's interested in that and the consumer who wants the experience. So some of these places have taken the Supercuts model and then, yes, they put these other things in place to make it a nicer experience so you can charge that premium price. But it speaks to the impact that Supercuts had on the marketplace. Because what it did was it eliminated the middle. So we have success is now, you've either gotta be the Supercuts model or a variation of it, inexpensive, consistent, fast, or a really, really great experience. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to schedule your own 90-minute Empire Building session, you can do it at empirebuildingprogram.com. Empire Building Program.